Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. Uh, my name is John Amayo. I am not Pastor Rob, for those of you who are confused. Uh, but a big happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, as Cody so eloquently put. Um, you guys uh, are just the caring, the nurturing influence of our congregation. There's so many great moms here at Browncroft, and you guys deserve way more than just one day, but I hope that today you're taken care of and loved by the people around you. Uh, but I realize that even in that, there, there's a, there can be competing emotions here. And so for some of you, just getting through the doors this morning uh, was an act of courage to come here. Maybe you've lost a child. Uh, it could be that, that um, you have estranged children. Maybe you've been trying to have children, but so far it just isn't working out. Or maybe you've lost a mother recently. You know, in the family of Jesus, we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're called to mourn with those who mourn. So if that's true of you today, if it took courage just to get through these doors, I just want to say to you, thank you so much for being here. We're so glad that you joined us, and you are welcome here in this space. Well, we're in the middle of a series called This Is Us, and Pastor Rob has done an excellent job over the last three weeks really leading us through this. The, the series is about relationships and how if we're centered on the gospel or that message of Jesus in our relationships, it will dramatically transform the way that we live our lives and the way that we interact with each other as well. Today, I'm going to be talking about the idea of parenting. I drew that straw. Somehow I got asked to talk about this one, okay? Uh, it, I didn't volunteer for this, just so you know. Uh, this is, this is just, you know, John, will you talk? Okay, sure. Um, let me start, actually, by introducing you to my family. I have a little uh, video, there, or a little uh, just picture of them up there. That is me with my Yukon Cornelius beard, my winter beard. And uh, that's my uh, lovely wife, Laura. She is a fantastic mom. So caring, so nurturing, so wise. Those two little human beings up there would not still be alive if it was not for her. I just want to acknowledge that right now. Uh, those other two human beings are uh, my son Hayden, who is 11 and a sports enthusiast of all sorts, and our daughter Hannah, who just turned 10 and she loves drawing and swimming and all things related to food. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of my family. One of my uh, mentors in ministry, when he discovered that my wife and I were, were pregnant, he, he came up to me and he said these words, and I'm never, I'll never forget this conversation, ever. He said to me, bro, bro, it is so exciting that you guys are having a baby. Oh, congratulations. And then he pulled me in a little closer and he said, bro, you're never gonna realize what kind of a jerk you are until you have kids. <laughs> 
And that has haunted me for day after day. I continue, those words resonate in my soul. Let me share one of them with you. Can I share an example with you of one of my failures in parenting? Is that all right? Um, oh, I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, so, so when my son was three years old, I was sitting watching a Bills game with him. You know that a story is going bad when you say I'm watching a Bills game with my son, right? And the Bills were playing the Patriots, so you know this story is not going to end. Well, okay, let me, let me just go a little further here. Uh, so the Bills, in this case, though, had just come back. They had scored a touchdown in kind of the final minutes of the game. They were up by four, and I believe it was about 40 seconds left on the clock, something like that. And the Patriots were going to have to drive the length of the field, score a touchdown in order for them to win. And so Tom Brady starts at the 20, and slowly they work their way. And I'm inwardly going, you know, all the way down the field. And lo and behold, the final play of the game, Tom Brady throws a pass to Wes Welker. over the, I, I can still see the play. I can still see it. Over the middle, touchdown Patriots, Patriots win. And my son starts screaming, Yay, Tom Bravey! Yay, Tom Bravey! <laughs> to which, myself, as a loving father, I yell at him, We don't cheer for Tom Brady! <laughs> I, it felt good coming out there. And as he was crying, I realized perhaps that wasn't the best move on my part. Perhaps actually yelling at my son because the Bills lost was not a best move. And so, and so I had the wisdom, and it takes a lot of wisdom to realize this, I had the wisdom to realize uh, I needed to apologize. So I said, buddy, you can cheer for whoever you want to cheer for from now on. Daddy is sorry, um, and, and he'll never yell at you again for cheering for a team. And to this day, if you walk into his room, it's covered with Patriots paraphernalia. <laughs> and my sin is ever before me. So you want to talk about learning from your parenting mistakes. I see it every day. Okay, I see it every day. Um, so today we're going to be looking at a story from the Bible that will help us Look, not at just the bad side of parenting, but what it might look like to do it well. And thankfully, the, Vi the Bible is a very practical book filled with, with wisdom and illustrations of how, really, we were meant to live life. We're going to be looking at a passage from the book of Mark, Mark 9. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. Mark 9, 14 to 27. There's Bibles in front of you. If you have the YouVersion app on your phone, you can use that, or the, the passage will be projected up on the screen as well. But let me set this passage up for you. Um, the book of Mark, in general, is in the New Testament. It's a biography of the life of Jesus. And the express intent of the book of Mark, it's written to a Roman audience getting them to see Jesus as who he is, the Son of God. And so all of Mark is kind of crafted around this idea. The story that we're going to be looking today at today has that same central focus to it, 
It's also the focus of the story before this one. So we're going to, let me tell you about the story before this one, which will lead into this one. So before this story that we're going to be looking at today happens, Jesus is on a top of a mountain with some of his close disciples, the three closest, Peter, James, and John. And he's at the top of this mountain. And at this moment, he is transformed into his true glory. The radiance, the glory of it, the beauty of it is just amazing. And his disciples couldn't do anything. They couldn't say anything except for Peter. He says a lot of dumb things. And he just said dumb things there. But other than that, they couldn't say anything. They, they were just awestruck. And you can imagine the conversation they're having with Jesus as he's walking down the mountain with them. The rest of the disciples are down at the bottom of the mountain, and they have religious leaders, and a whole crowd has gathered around them. And this is the scene that we pick it up at, this story up at. So Mark 9, 14 to 27. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with, about with them, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him to the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Okay. At first, you don't read this passage and think, wow, that's a parenting passage. I've never heard a talk given about this. But the more I look at this passage, the more I see how it applies to us in parenting. Here's, a, here's a, just an overarching thought that I want to have in our minds as we go forward with this, and it's this. Nothing will shape your child's view of God more than you. Nothing will shape your child's view of God more than you. I'm not just talking about what you say. I'm talking about how you trust God and how you follow God in your life. So let's move on in this passage, and let's look at the different characters within this passage and what they might be telling us. First of all, you see the disciples, right? In verse 14, you see the disciples and the religious leaders, and they're gathered around together. And what are they doing? You can, you can actually answer this one. What are, what are they doing, the religious leaders? Arguing. arguing. Yes, exactly. They're arguing. 
They have a hurting child in front of them. They've tried to cure him. They can't figure it out. And so rather than do anything else, they're arguing between each other. And here's a principle right off the bat that we can pick up from this passage. You know what? It's a lot easier to argue than it is to act. And I'm not talking with your kids. Obviously, that's an issue, you know. But I'm talking about us. It's a lot easier for us to argue about what the right thing to do is rather than to act in love. I wish that wasn't true in church, but it's true even for us. You know, when we had kids, I didn't know right off the bat that people could argue over uh, the correct sleeping patterns for your child and eating patterns. There's whole books on this stuff. You guys know that? There's whole books on like, you know, and, and, and there's supposedly a right way and a wrong way and everybody has an idea of what the right way and wrong way is. I didn't know. I'm glad my wife paid attention to that. And um, I had no idea. But that doesn't leave just there. It's as our kids grow, right? I mean, we, we can have arguments. Should they be in this service with us? Should they have kids service? If they're in kids service, what should the kids service look like? And it's easy to have these arguments and forget about the hurting people that are right there. If we're arguing over something that we're losing the vision of the hurting people that's right there, we've lost the way. We've lost the way of Jesus. And we look at the specific hurting person in this passage, and it's the son in this passage is hurting. We know a few things about him from his dad, right? We know that he has seizures. We know that he's almost died. We know that he's not able to communicate with the world around him. All of these things we, we picked up from his dad. And I look at this passage and I can identify with the son. And not just in a, in a like a underneath the surface kind of way, but this passage speaks to me because I've had seizures too. And actually, I shouldn't even be here today speaking with you all. When I was 16, July 4th, I was at my uncle and aunt's house in North Carolina. And it was one of those hot, steamy July days. And my, the rest of my family was up having a picnic. And I went onto this big pond that they have. They have a huge pond. And I love fishing. And so I was fishing on this huge pond. And I canoed to the other side of this pond. And as I recall, what I remember is fishing, fishing, fishing. And then <clears throat> water being pushed out of my lungs going in and out of consciousness. <sighs> I had a seizure. I fell over the boat, was underneath the water for a number of minutes, way longer than I should have been. Thankfully, people up on the shore had seen me. My uncle had gotten into a canoe, canoed across the pond, thought about where, where I was, jumped out, kicked the bottom, saw some bubbles, reached down and pulled me up out of the bottom of the pond. The doctors said I shouldn't be here right now. So I know what it's like to have seizures. I know what it's like in some sense to be experiencing the things that this boy experienced. 
you experience shame because you don't want that to happen. You experience out loss of control. You have absolutely no control whatsoever. You experience fear. Who knows when the next one is gonna hit? And I would propose to you that our society right now is full of children in this same son's predicament. Maybe not with actual seizure disorders, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the underlying roots to what you experience when you have seizures. Loss of control. You don't have a voice of your own. Afraid. I believe this generation is full of students like that. And not just that, many of them are underneath our own roofs. This is my next point. Hurting kids are all around you, maybe even underneath your own roof. Just because it isn't visible doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And I don't need to just sit up here and say this. You, many of you know the situation in Penfield over the last week where a student has taken their own life. And that isn't an isolated incident. That it's, it's happening more and more in our society. I work with college students, so I see this on a college level. But did, I was just reading this yesterday. I happened to come across this article that said, more students are taking their life now than ever. The, the number now compared to 10 years ago has doubled since 10 years ago. Doubled in 10 years. Hurting people are all around us. Okay, that's true, but we aren't left with that, right? So we're, we're, we're left with an example of a father in this passage that has done it well. Let's look at that father's story together. Um, number one, verse 17 and 18, he gives this child a voice. He gives his child a voice. When the child can't speak for himself, he speaks for him. He speaks for his child in his pain, in his suffering. Um, through my time at RIT, I've worked uh, here in Rochester with college students for 10 years. I, uh, at my time at RIT, I've been able to work with the deaf community. Um, a fair amount. And one of the first things I learned about the deaf community is that 85% of dads of deaf students never learn sign language. Dads of deaf students never learn sign language. They never learn to communicate with their own children. This dad flips that. And he says, I'm not, I'm not only going to communicate with my son, I'm going to communicate for my son, and I'm going to take him to Jesus. And he boldly goes before Jesus. But then as, as the father is explaining this to Jesus, the dad comes up with this statement that is kind of out of nowhere, right? The dad explains what's happening with his son. And if you aren't careful, you go, what, is, what are you talking about, Jesus? He says, Faithless generation, how long must I put up with you? It isn't something you have crocheted on a pillow somewhere, probably, or uh, put on a fridge magnet, you know? Well, isn't that nice? Oh, that's so, you know, comfy, cozy. It, actually, Jesus is angry here. Jesus is angry. 
And we need to admit that and go, Jesus is angry. What makes Jesus angry? It makes Jesus angry that hurting people are right there and religious people are surrounding them, not doing anything about it. That makes Jesus angry. When there's a hurting person there and religious people are doing nothing, Jesus gets angry at that. We need to take that seriously when we think about parenting, when we think about this. So the son has another seizure right in front of Jesus. And Jesus could have in that moment obviously gone, you're healed and healed him right then, but he doesn't. He ends up giving the dad dignity and the son dignity in this moment by asking a simple question. How long has he been like this? Think about what that question does by Jesus. He then is, he's giving dignity to the dad for saying, you have put up with this for a long time, haven't you? Wow, wow, I care about the pain that you're going through. I care that it's taken that long of your life. And for the son to know you've endured this for that long. He cares, he's compassionate. But not only is compassionate, so the dad sees his compassion, but then he's, he responds to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything to help, have pity on us, right? That, that phrase, if you can do anything to help, is the same root word as dynamite. It's kind of a cool root word. Dynamite. It means if you have power. So he's questioning Jesus' power. He's saying, okay, I see that you're caring. I see that you're compassionate. But, but if you can do anything... If you have power, please step in and help. And Jesus, <laughs> I love this about Jesus. He doesn't, again, he doesn't step in and, and answer right away either. He's calling this dad into a deeper faith. And that's what he does with us. He calls us in as parents into a deeper faith, a deeper relationship with him. He said, if I can, if I have the power... Anything is possible for those who believe. And immediately, the dad says, one of the honest, most brutally honest prayers in the whole Bible, but also one of the, the most beautiful prayers in the whole Bible, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And that was enough. That simple prayer is enough for Jesus in that moment. Because, Jesus, because this man isn't just saying this prayer for himself. I never noticed this before. Of all the years that I've looked at this passage, I've never noticed this before. This man is not praying this prayer for himself. He's praying it for him and his son. Because I believe this man in this moment realizes something. You can't pass on a faith that you haven't experienced. We can't pass on a faith that we haven't experienced. We can only take our children as far in our faith as we are willing to go in our faith. And that's convicting to me. And God is always working on that in my heart. And let me share an example with you of one of those ways that he's done that recently. Um, the beginning of this year, uh, our son 
is, went into middle school. And you guys know middle school, right? Best years of your life. Gotta love it. Um, and he had a real tough transition into middle school. And I say this with his permission, by the way. Um, it was a very tough transition. New school, new people, new way of doing things. And one day, a few months ago, he had a panic attack in school. And uh, the, the school nurse called my wife. And she said, hey, can you come down here and, and you know, see him because we feel like he's had a panic attack. And my wife couldn't make it, so she called me, and I said, sure, so I, I went. And I would love to tell you that in that moment, I was having all these feelings of, like, I know exactly what I'm going to do, I've been preparing for this, and I am ready, dad mode on, you know? But that wasn't what was going on underneath the surface of my life. I was really struggling, because I had no idea what to do in this moment. What do you do when your kid has a panic attack? I don't know. I don't know what to do. And so... I'm questioning God, like, God, what happens? What should I do here? And, I, and, and as I was leaving my car to walk in, I felt like he was saying to me, like, just give him a hug. Just, just give him a hug. And so I walk in the door and the check-in, and then I take a left into the nurse's office. And there he is, sitting at a table, a lot like this one, round table, eating his lunch at a chair. And um, I, I looked and I just did that. I just went up and I just gave him a hug. And we just sat like that for a little while. Um, and we had a conversation, we talked some more. And I was like, bud, what do you think? You know, he's like, I think we can, I can make it for the rest of the day. And I was like, you know, let's just go home. Let's, let's go. And we did, and we ended up having a really good rest of the day. But I, rem but I distinctly remember, after I was processing that time, just between me and God, I thought, what was it about that time, God, that seemed so meaningful? And he brought up to me this. John, you know what? A lot of times I feel just like him. I feel like the kid who is botched up. I'm ashamed. I'm there all by myself. And I wonder what's going to happen when God walks through the door. And to me, God used this time to tell me, John, what I want to do most is give you a hug. And God can use these little steps of faith in our lives to do big things. I was processing that with my son afterward, a couple days later, and we were, we were talking before bed, and I was going to pray with him beforehand. And he said, um, I said, man, this is kind of what God taught me through that. And he said, wow, that's cool. You know what? God taught me that something, too, because I was praying right before you came that, that God would make you would help you make me feel better, and you did, and that's awesome. And that's the essence of parenthood. It's not acting like we have together. It's not five next best steps to parenting. It's the admitting of weakness, 
the admitting that we don't have it together. That's when Jesus shows up. That's when powerful things happen. And I can tell you that because the, net, the last two verses, the two verses that I didn't mention are right here in this passage. Jesus follows this up. The disciples are away with Jesus at another time, right after this, at night. It says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why were we so ineffective? We did the steps right, Jesus. We read the blog post. We did the thing. Everything was right. Why couldn't we do it, Jesus? And Jesus said this, it's, he replied, this kind can only come out in prayer. He's like, let me tell you something, disciples. You think that you've got it together? Actually, the dad had it together. The dad saw me as God. The dad saw that I could step in, that I had power. The dad realized his own weakness, and the dad is the one whose prayers got answered. And that's a call for us, a realization of our own weakness. Yes, it's true as parents that nothing will shape your child's view of God more than you, but we need each other in this. We need each other. So I think of everyone who's here. I think of empty nesters. Man, what would it be like if you just came alongside of some of the young parents in this place and just said, hey, we see you. We understand what it's like to live there. We're still alive. Um, <laughs> you can be alive too. You know, high school or college students, you guys can be an inspiration to kids. You know, I work with college students and I see them look up, I, I see our kids look up to college students in a way that I can't do as a dad, you know? I see grandparents here. I think of the two ladies in our church. I didn't grow up with grandparents, but two ladies kind of adopted my sister and me as, as grandkids. And I remember one of them, she bought, she would take us to the movies and she would buy us this huge thing of popcorn. Every time she would buy us the large. And we were like, I can't believe God is so good. I can't believe that someone would, would be good enough to us to buy us the large popcorn. This is amazing. Like, just little things can make a huge difference. We're in this together. This is us. And with that theme, I just want to close the time today by inviting us to participate in something. And so I'm, it's, it might take a little courage to do this. But I would ask that if you are someone here today and you're in a spot of that desperation, you know, it could be related to parenting, maybe could be related to maybe having, you know, a kid, not having children, whatever that spot is for you in life. It doesn't necessarily have to be. But you're, you're, you're in this spot. I would love to, to pray for you. And I would love for you not to just feel like you are alone in this, but to know that we together are in this. And so I would love for us, maybe you're not in that spot today. You're like, I'm, John, actually, I'm in a really good spot. That's awesome. Cool. You might remember days when you've been in a really spot, in a bad spot where you're like, just praying the prayer of I believe, help my unbelief seems like that takes effort. And if you are, I, I would ask you to, to, to maybe even just put your hand out and pray for someone around you. Just 
Just kind of put your hand out. So if that's your spot where you're in today, and you're like, John, I'm in that spot of the dad. I just, I'm, I'm, I've come to the end of the way that I know how to do things. I'm in, a, I'm in a spot where that's my prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Right where you're at. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for the boldness and the courage. I'm gonna ask you to keep those hands up. And I'm gonna ask for the people around, if you feel comfortable with someone you see, just put your hand out in their direction and pray for them as I pray for them. Because I want you all to know that we are not alone, okay? No one here is alone in this. So keep those hands up, if you would, and let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are not removed from our pain, Jesus. That you see us in compassion and you see us with love. And Jesus, you know each and every pain that everyone is going through here. Lord, the brokenness that's in lives, you know the depth of that brokenness. And so people who are raising their hands right now, Lord, are saying, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Just, just help, Lord. And so I pray with them that you would step in in a huge way into their life. Lord, that you and your power would be made known in their life. That they would be able to undeniably point to this moment and say, Jesus showed up in my life. Lord, for those of us who, who maybe have, have experienced that before, and, and Lord, we're living in the reality of that now. Lord, I pray that you would keep us centered in that, that we wouldn't ignore the hurting and the lost right in front of us, that we, but that we would be reaching them and doing everything we can to be on our knees praying for them and reaching out to them the way that you would. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen.